bringing relevant and engaging insights to human resource and talent development professionals. This is Talent Champions with Diana Thomas, sponsored by Franklin Covey. Here is your host, Diana Thomas. Welcome to another episode of Talent Champions. I'm Diana Thomas, and I'm honored to serve as your host. We have another great episode planned for you today. Our guest is Jim Moore. Jim is a talent development expert, and he's also one of my networking colleagues and friends. Jim is a founding member of the Marshall Goldsmith Group, and he's had a previous career in executive development and training with Sun Microsystems, Nortel, and Bell South, or AT&T. Welcome, Jim. We're thrilled to have you. Thanks, Diana. It's a pleasure to be with you. I was trying to remember when we first met. Was it like 10 or 15 years ago? We're both in an active networking group that contains just some fabulous people, whether they're learning leaders, HR leaders, academic individuals, or individual contractors, just so many wonderful people that are willing to share. So I'm blessed that I met you in that uh, networking environment. Well, um, uh, for sure, it's been a while, but I can't remember what I had for lunch yesterday, so I don't remember the exact time. But networking has always been a, an important thing for me. It's always fun when you're the, the single practitioner of what you do to be able to connect with others and, and feel part of a group. So I've always valued the networking opportunities. Yeah, and I particularly like our network because it's a little bit smaller. Sometimes you go to these big, large networking events, and it's really hard to connect with people. So typically, we have anywhere from what, like 15 to 30 people. It's been a nice environment. Yeah. It's also good that you see the same people frequently so you can observe changes in time over the field. Uh, things don't stay the same, and, and uh, things go in and out of focus, and uh, it's fun to hear other professionals talk about what's current in the field of leadership development. Absolutely. Well, we invited you to come talk about feedback, but first I wanted to ask you to share a little bit about yourself and your current role, what you're doing. Sure. Well, um, as you noted, I had a long corporate career uh, where I had responsibilities for executive development, corporate universities, talent development, It's interesting that we don't have consistent titles in our talent management field like CFO or CIO or chief marketing officer. We we call ourselves different things. I had a somewhat unique, uh, some would say bizarre path to uh, talent development. Um, I was educated as an electrical engineer, um, and that means I consider behavioral scientists an oxymoron. Uh, And I held uh, leadership positions in engineering in the old Bell system. And I was a division manager engineering at AT AT&T headquarters in New Jersey. I went out drinking one night with a bunch of colleagues from the operating companies. And I woke up the next day in charge of executive development at Bell South. They didn't call it back then. And if they had, they probably wouldn't have picked me uh, because I was totally unqualified. Then I had my middle part of the career that you described in three Fortune 500 companies. And then for the last 15 years, I've been an independent consultant uh, where I specialize in helping companies design and implement executive education programs, design succession planning systems. And lately, primarily, I've been working as an executive coach uh, with the Marshall Goldsmith Group. And... um, uh, by the way, if people have been checking on my math, uh, they've probably added it up and discovered that I'm 108 years old. Um, that's okay. Uh, I also uh, live in beautiful Sonoma, California. Uh, you know, I think it's important that we uh, focus on helping our clients get better, but we also need to think about developing ourselves. And I moved here to to develop my hand-to-mouth coordination, and I've really made a lot of progress, so I'm proud of that. Yeah, I know we've been talking at times and you're like, oh, I'm looking out over the vineyard, you know, like just teasing me. So, <laughs> well, you know, the, we just started the grape harvest last week. I could uh, open my door here and your listeners could smell the <laughs> wonderful smell of grapes fermenting, but uh, maybe not. <laughs> Well, you mentioned Marshall Goldsmith, and I'd love to give our audience just a little more information about him and how you're connected with him. Could you do that? Sure. Well, he's pretty famous, but uh, if you haven't heard of him, uh, he's he's considered the number one thinker in the field of leadership, 
considered the number one executive coach on the planet. He's a three times New York Times bestselling author. Um, and I'm a proud founding member of the Marshall Goldsmith Group. I first met Marshall about 35 years ago before he was famous when I hired him to teach a class uh, in an executive education program I was running. And he's been a friend and I've been a client and now a business partner with him ever since. And so um, a number of years ago, Marshall and I were in a, an annual retreat that we do with a bunch of our colleagues. And he came up with the idea of the daily question process. Basically, it's uh, every day asking yourself or ask, being asked by your coach questions that are really important to you about how you're living your life that day. So anyway, he came up with the idea of the daily question process, and he and I partnered to do it. Um, and he made me famous in his uh, book, What Got You Here Won't Get You There, by calling me his coach. It's on page 166, if your listeners uh, want to know. And if you have the book, just skip to page 166, and you'll get all the important things. But anyway, my, for five years, Marshall and I talked on the phone pretty much every day. And I would ask him his list of 23 questions. He would ask me my list of 20 questions. And then once a week, usually on a Saturday, we'd review uh, the results from the previous week and talk about what insights we got. And so anyway, that's how he identified me uh, as his coach. Um, <laughs> it's interesting that I go to a lot of meetings to introduce myself. Uh, you've been to them. And I start by talking about my illustrious career. And I look around the room and the, everybody's eyes are kind of glazed over. A few people are nodding off. And, and then I'll say, and also, by the way, I'm Marshall's executive coach. And all of a sudden, everybody perks up and says, whoa, you must be kind of cool. So anyway, I shamelessly use that title when I introduce myself now as I'm Marshall's coach. <laughs> I love that story. And I tell you, you know, I saw Marshall, it must have been within those five years, he was speaking, you know, probably 15, 20 years ago. And I remember being so impressed when he shared uh, two things. One is he talked about, you know, here's my articles, here's some tools, go to my website, I want to give this stuff away to you. I want if I have something that could make you better, you know, access it, there's no charge. And I thought so highly of him for saying that. And that's how he is and how he acts. And then the second thing being so impressed that he is committed to growing and learning so much that he has his own coach. And that coach would talk to him every day. So I remember leaving going, oh, my gosh, that person must be so impressive. So when I, when, when I met you, <laughs> when I met you at our first networking event and you introduce yourself, I was like, oh, my gosh, that's the celebrity. He's Marshall's coach. And you have not disappointed at all. Just uh, that was so exciting <laughs> meeting Marshall's coach. Now I know, you know, one of the reasons why he's so successful. Well, we all need help. Yeah, <laughs> that is so true. So let's get into the meat of our topic uh, being feedback, you know, giving it, requesting it, and receiving it with grace, which isn't always easy. You know, I believe feedback is such a great tool for many of our talent champion listeners, not only for themselves, but I know they're coaching teams and they're also coaching leaders to be more effective. So I really believe that this topic is uh, very relevant and going to be extremely useful for our audience. And personally, for me, I think about as a young executive growing up or a young manager growing up in uh, corporate America and, and my first corporate performance review, uh, when my manager did that, she gave me some feedback that was very helpful, but I remember being very mad and upset because it was something that she could have told me much earlier on, you know, I'd only been there a year, but if she would have told me, you know, after day one or day five, or even after month one, I could have improved on it. And so it like set in my mind, you know what, when I become a boss, I am always going to give my people the feedback that they need to grow as soon as I see it, or as soon as they ask for it. So um, I probably was one of those bosses that gave a little too much feedback at time. Uh, and then I've learned through the years, you know, how to give it more effectively. But I really like when I've been reading some of your articles and just talking to you, how you frame feedback. And so I think you see it differently, or you describe it differently. So I'd love for you to share your definition of feedback and what's different about it in your mind to our audience? 
Uh, well, sure, I'll take a stab. Uh, but based on uh, what you've told me about your listeners, uh, I think I may be preaching to the choir about a definition of feedback and the importance of it. So my definition would be that feedback is a set of comments about a person's performance or behavior in the past that is intended to help the receiver improve in the future. It's obvious why it's important uh, to the development process because it gives you the awareness of the need to change. Um, It may be things that you didn't know about before you got the feedback and it gives you the motivation to change. But my focus on feedback has, has been how can we improve the effectiveness of it to make sure it translates to uh, increased leadership effectiveness. And, and because there's some problems associated with feedback that get in the way of its effectiveness, if, if delivered properly, it can certainly lead to improved behavior. If, if delivered improperly, though, it can hurt feelings, it can demean people, and it could even demotivate the person who receives it. Um, So there's a little bit of a dichotomy in that we say we want more feedback, and yet many of us actually don't look forward to receiving it uh, because too often it's associated with negative comments about past behavior. Um, You know, feedback can and should be positive, but sometimes we call positive feedback recognition, and we call negative comments feedback. So it gets associated with (laughs) it's going to be a negative experience when you get it. Uh, you know, maybe I'll give you a case study to to illustrate it. Um, you said that you always wanted feedback, but now, Diane, I'm going to ask you to put yourself in your office at Hamburger University at McDonald's, and and the phone rings, and it's the CEO's executive assistant who says, Diana, come to the CEO's office immediately. He wants to give you some feedback. Now, I don't know about you, but uh, I would not be skipping and clapping my hands with joy on the way to the CEO's office to get my feedback. It has too much of a negative connotation. So uh, to come up with uh, a solution to this negativity, there's a a wonderful tool out there that Marshall invented that's described on his website as one of the free tools that you mentioned called Feed Forward. And if if uh, it's okay with you, let me take a few minutes to describe what feed forward is and how it may be more useful than feedback uh, in many cases. It's a concept that Marshall came up with that attempts to achieve the benefits of feedback without some of the negatives. And it doesn't replace feedback. Uh, it just is kind of a supplement. So in, in feed forward, instead of providing negative comments about the past, you provide positive suggestions for the future. It comes out of Marshall's, one of Marshall's famous quotes that says, uh, you can't change the past, you can only change the future. So forgive my past sins, but help me be better in the future. And it's maybe best to illustrate that one with an example. And so let's uh, say person X works for me as my direct report. And person X just gave a presentation to a group that was terrible, and we would all agree that it was terrible. Um, And if I gave Person X feedback about that presentation, I might say, Person X, you had way too many slides, and each one had so many words, I had no idea what your message was. Um, And also, you read from a script with a monotone voice. I had a hard time paying attention to you, much less getting excited about your message. Finally, you gave way too much detail, no one cared because they couldn't get your key points. And at this point, person X probably thinks that his or her career is over. Um, So if I used feed forward instead of feedback to work with person X, I might say something like this. Uh, Person X, I just listened to your presentation, um, and I have a few suggestions that might help you be even more effective in the future. Would you like to hear them? Person X says, oh, sure, boss, you know, what are your suggestions? I'd say, well, first, if you have a 30-minute presentation, think about using no more than 10 slides. Second uh, suggestion would be, it would be good to have only a few bullet points on each slide. Uh, Avoid long sentences, use pictures, just use a few key words. And then third, I'd like to hear you speak from your heart. You know, you can prepare all you want, write a script if you want to, but then throw it away and speak from your heart. You know this subject matter, so, you know, tell it like you feel it. And finally, 
my suggestion would be to give the audience just the high-level idea of your presentation and let them ask questions to learn the detail. And, and I think that, that you'll be much more effective in getting your message across. So that's an example of feed forward. It's certainly more constructive. It causes the person to receiving it to be less defensive and uh, hopefully more motivated to do it better in the future. Great example. And I love the tone of the second one. I mean, when you were framing it as feed forward, I felt like it was so much kinder, more generous. And I could see the person who was receiving it, you know, would feel like you're genuinely wanting to help them instead of criticize. Yeah. And uh, by the way, the same uh, situation is true when asking for feedback. And so if you were to come to one of our classes, we would teach you a process that you should go back and ask for feedback if people aren't giving it to you. So uh, let me give you an example of how you would use feed forward when asking for feedback. Um, and let's say uh, you, Diana, are my direct report, and I've just come back from a class taught by Marshall Goldsmith and gotten feedback, and I go to you and say, uh, Diana, I've been told uh, that I need to improve my leadership effectiveness. Do you have any feedback about my leadership? And by the way, I've been told I'm a bad listener. And you, Diana, might say, oh, no, Jim, I think you're a great leader, an excellent listener. I don't know why those people would say differently than that. I think you're just wonderful. Uh, Because for many people, sucking up is a good strategy when the boss asks for feedback. It's a career-enhancing strategy. So if I were to use feed forward instead of asking you, give me some feedback, Diana, and I'm your boss, if I were to use feed forward, I'd, I'd say to you, uh, you know, Diana, I'm working to be a better leader. Uh, one of the areas I'm focused on is becoming a more effective listener. Do you have any suggestions for me on how I could be a better listener when you see me in meetings? And you could say, whoa, well, that's an interesting idea. And you might give me a few ideas uh, on how I could be a better listener. You don't have to evaluate me. You don't have to say I'm good or bad. You're only giving me a few ideas for the future. It's much more uh, easy for you to give me the the suggestions than to evaluate my listening ability. So um, that's an example of of how you could use feed forward uh, when asking for feedback. Yeah. And I think it's so critical for leaders to get the feedback. And what I see, I mean, I personally found this, the higher I went up, the less feedback I would get from people, you know, and it is, oh, you're wonderful in that. But I also think that, you know, you have to create the environment where people feel comfortable giving you that feedback. So, you know, I really worked hard with my team to make sure that they felt comfortable and they gave me the honest feedback. Um, But there's some leaders out there that I'm coaching and they'll say, I'm not getting the feedback. So even if they're asking for it, and they're trying to ask for it in this, you know, feed forward, more, you know, constructive, positive way, uh, and they're not getting it, what kind of suggestions do you have? And then maybe touch on too how you receive the feedback really can set the tone if people will keep giving you feedback. Well, it's an excellent point. And, and I agree with you, the higher you are, the less feedback you get in part because people are more afraid to, to give you feedback and hurting the feelings of a very senior level executive is not a, a career enhancing strategy. <laughs> so I think the higher you go, the less you get. I'm, you know, I think feed forward of just saying everybody can get better, help me get better. And what are your ideas? And then the second thing I would say is when people give you those ideas and the, this is important, the higher you up, you are, uh, is don't evaluate those ideas. So if somebody gives you a bad idea when you ask for a suggestion, the answer should be the same as if they give you a good idea. Thank you. Not to say that's a good idea or, gee, I can't do that or I don't intend to do that, but just to take all the ideas. You don't have to promise to do everything, but just say thank you. Look like you paid attention and do one or two of the suggestions you get. You'll be better and they'll be happy and feel comfortable giving you the feed forward. Yeah, great suggestion. I love the suggestion of not evaluating. And and I think I've trained myself if somebody gives me some negative one is to just thank them. But I could see myself as somebody would give me something that I thought was really helpful, that I'd want to react like, oh, that one's really good, you know, like, yeah, I'm going to do that one. 
that's really a good idea, but what do you say if you didn't think something was so good? So if they give you three ideas and you say to the first one, oh, that's a great idea, and the second one you say, oh, that's a good idea, and the third one you say nothing, in the end they feel like they shouldn't have given you that third idea. So I think it's important not to evaluate them. That's an excellent point. So talking about feedback, who would you recommend that leaders uh, solicit feedback from? Are there certain individuals that you think isn't critical to have feedback from? Well, I I think there are lots of people. And if you're a leader, you're trying to influence people with your leadership in multiple directions. Uh, And you do it differently with each group. So you're trying to influence the senior executives. You're trying to influence your peers. You're trying to influence your, your direct reports. And so you need to ask all of them. And in our coaching work, we put no limit to the number of stakeholders that we allow a client to select. We don't charge more if you have 50 stakeholders than we would if you had five. Uh, the more the merrier, uh, wisdom of crowds, whatever. But in general, uh, ask all your direct reports, all your peers, even the ones who may not like you, and a group of leaders at higher levels. And if you're a CEO or a CEO-to-be, we also interview board members. And then sometimes, and this is kind of interesting, we, we also interview family members to get feedback on the leader because many of the negative behaviors that we display at work, we can also display at home. Uh, and it might be even more important to change your behavior at home. Uh, you know, a few years ago, I worked with a CEO who asked me to include his spouse and his children in his feedback. And I interviewed all of them and it turned out the feedback from his children was the most impactful feedback he received. And I would say it was the most emotional feedback giving experience of my coaching career. It it had a huge impact on him and he corrected the issue immediately. And I think if he'd gotten the same feedback from his team, he wouldn't have taken it quite as seriously. The other thing I would say about not limiting the number of of people is that when you ask somebody to fill out the survey or be willing to talk to a coach and give feedback, that's a positive intervention all by itself. It, it It's a message to that person that you care about what they think and you value their ideas. I, I see no reason to keep a short list of stakeholders that you would want to include in the feedback process. Yeah. And even if you're not doing a formal process, is just making sure from time to time that you're getting feedback from those critical people, the people that are all around you that have stake in your success or that are impacted by your leadership and your influence. So great feedback. So you talked about doing surveys. Let's move our discussion and focus around 360 feedback instruments, because there are more and more instruments out there. I know as people are interviewing me to be a coach for them, the HR people are asking, you know, what instruments are you certified on? Which ones do you like? And personally, I don't use any of them. You know, like you, I like talking to the leaders. I like getting feedback directly from those that are interacting with the leader that I'm coaching. But maybe give us some of your perspective about 360s and when you're working with leaders, is is there an approach or one that you'd like to use? Sure. Well, in our one-on-one coaching, we, we don't use feedback instruments. We use personal interviews with each stakeholder. Basically, we only ask two questions. Uh, what does this leader do well, his or her strengths as a leader? And secondly, what are your suggestions on how he or she could be even more effective? But when we work with large teams or when we deliver education programs to large numbers of people, doing interv- individual interviews um, is, is not cost-effective or time-effective. And so we do use instruments um, when we do that. Uh, I have two biases about instruments that uh, I'd like to share. I think there are two major misconceptions about using 360 instruments. Number one is that if you give them the data, they will change. So that we've done 90% of the work when we present the 360 feedback to the executive and giving them that feedback, then he or she will will do the right thing. The second uh, misconception that I see all the time is that the search for the more scientific instrument is worth making. Um, so let me, if you 
if I could help, let me talk about each of those misconceptions. The the issue of if you give them the data, they will change. Uh, anecdotally, uh, this has happened to me a number of times. I'll go to to meet with an executive for the first time as their coach, and I'll explain our stakeholder feedback process, and I n- need to interview all these people, and they say, oh, that's not necessary. I just went to an external program recently, and as a part of that program, I got 360 feedback. So well, that's great. What did you learn from that? And I see a blank stare, or I see some convoluted uh, thing that doesn't, it's not clear what, what they learned from it. So then I'll say, well, let's take a look at it and see what kind of sense we can make. And often they even have trouble finding that instrument. So they've gone to this uh, external program, they've gotten a 80-page feedback report, and they cannot tell me one thing they learned from it. And if they can't do that, the odds are that they changed are are not good. I have four theories about why they did not use that data to change. Number one is focus. Um, it, it's it's really important to focus on one or two items, and many 360 instruments have 50 to 100 items, and there's so much data there that leaders can get lost in the analysis and, and it's kind of interesting. I, I give them feedback all the time about one of their strengths is they're able to look at complex corporate reports, financial documents that are hundreds of pages long and extract the really key insights. But somehow when the feedback's about themselves, they have a harder time coming up with the one or two areas. And I think it's important to distill it to one or two things because uh, you can't change 80 things, you can't change 10 things about yourself. And if you were uh, trying to think about every muscle you had to move to hit a golf ball accurately, you probably couldn't make contact. So for us, we think the key to change is getting the leader to focus on one and no more than two areas for improvement. And, And the good news is if you change one thing, it's one thing more than people expect you to change. So, uh, it can have a huge impact on your overall leadership effectiveness. So, um, so focus is one area that they have a hard time doing and one of the areas the coach can help them do. The second area uh, that gets in the way of change just based on giving uh, a person their feedback is that they fail to understand that changing behavior is maybe one thing to do, but changing perceptions of your behavior is much harder to do. And so uh, I think coaching can help people understand the difference between changing behavior and changing perceptions. And and that includes uh, following up with people to make sure they understand what they're doing and that they are changing. The, the third area that gets in the way of using the feedback data to change is, are distractions. Uh, it's really hard to stay the course these days. Uh, I've never met an executive that didn't have a frenetic schedule, and I can't create any more time or reduce the distractions they face daily. And the the bad news is the hectic, chaotic, deadline-driven life they're living now is not going to get easier. One of the things that I do as a coach that is just keep calling them and harassing them. Are you doing the things you need to do? It's about giving them discipline to change. And it's why Hollywood movie stars can hire a personal trainer to come to their house every day while they work out on an elliptical. It's not because they don't know how to use that elliptical. It's that they know the trainer's going to get there at 9 o'clock in the morning and they are going to work out. And so when I call a leader and say, hey, it's me, did you do what you said you were going to do? It's, it's a way of keeping them focused and keeping them uh, oriented to doing the things they need to do. Uh, and then the, the fourth area that I think gets in the way of expecting people to change when you give them data is there's no accountability. And leaders pay attention to things that get measured and evaluated. And so we feel strongly that 360 feedback should be anonymous, confidential, used only for development. So we never uh, work with 360 feedback used for performance evaluation. So we keep it confidential. But we do think that there should be uh, an insistence that you do improve. And so we uh, end all of our coaching engagements by measuring whether the person got better or not. 
and not in our opinion or in the opinion of the person we're coaching, but in the opinion of the original stakeholders. So we call all the stakeholders back and we ask them to evaluate that leader after we've been working with them for a year and collected the original feedback. We say on a scale of minus three to plus three, where minus three means the leader got a lot worse. Hopefully we don't make anybody worse by working with them for a year. Um, Zero, they didn't change at all. Plus three, they got a lot better. Uh, And also, how did they do using that same scale on the one or two items that they picked to get better at? And then if they get better, we send a bill. And if they don't get better, we don't send a bill. And so there's some accountability that the leader we're coaching knows that if they don't get better, everybody, their bosses at the company are going to know they didn't get better because we didn't send a bill. And so we build in these little mini surveys to everything we do. We, and in helping companies design classroom programs where we give 360 feedback, we always include a follow-up session where everybody gets feedback on whether they got better or not. So I think that accountability is is important that if we spend the time to give you the feedback, there's an expectation that you will get better and you can measure that. Yeah, I love that. You know, the four buckets, I mean, great information. And I think you said this is going to be in an article. So we'll make sure we could work together with you and get it out to our audience. The one area I'd love you to go back and touch a little bit more on because this is something I hear a lot of as I'm coaching leaders, and I saw personally as well, you know, working inside of a a large corporation is changing perceptions. So people will say, Oh, this person, you know, did blank, blank and blank, and they're they're never going to be a key leader because they're so tactical. And alas, like, when did you interact with that person? When did you see them doing those tactical things? And it could have been like five or 10 years ago, and it would make me crazy, you know, so I coach my leaders about, you know, you have to update old tapes about you and and we strategize about how to do that. So I think that is something that's unique about the way that you coach and the way that Marshall Goldsmith's program is set up. Could you give a little bit more advice on how someone could do that if they know that somebody, maybe a top leader is holding them back and they need to change that person's perception of them? How do they do that? And the issue is that people get stereotyped, and the and the higher up you are, the more stereotyped you become, and people's impression of you can be formed as much by stories they hear about you than they than they are by uh, any behavior they've seen. And the story might be ten years old. So uh, anytime you do something that reinforces that stereotype, people say, "Yep, that's the way he or she is." The example we use is with destructive comments. I'm going to talk to you about two people with the same behavior that that change. One changes perceptions, one doesn't. So person A uh, gets feedback that he or she makes destructive comments about other people or organizations, and person A says, "Well, I need to change that." So person A goes a month and does not make any destructive comments. It goes two months, does not make any destructive comments. Finally, nine months later, person A says, those idiots in accounting, you know, they're bean counters. They don't help us get our results. They're, They're slowing us down. And the person that hears you say that say, see, person A never changed at all, makes destructive comments. Now, person B gets the feedback, needs to stop, goes a month without making any, and using the feed-forward comment uh, concept goes back to the stakeholders and says, you know, I'm trying to get better at avoiding destructive comments. Do you have any suggestions for me? And the person says, um, no, but they don't think you're going to change. Uh, but they say, I don't have any right now. You go two months and you say, you have any suggestions for me now on how I can get better at avoiding destructive comments? They say, hmm, no, I don't. You go six months and they say, wow, uh, you know, no, no suggestions. You go nine months, you make the same destructive comment, and now I ask you for, for any suggestions, and you say, well, you just made a suggestion about accounting that was inappropriate, but you've gotten a lot better. I'm really impressed. So it's exactly the same behavior, but in in person B's example, they've changed the perception of, of making destructive comments, but person A has not. So it's that feed forward and that follow up that's required to help people see you that you're actually changing your behavior and getting better. 
Yeah, no, that's a great example. And, and one of the things I try to do is coach my leaders to find out if there are any derailers out there or things that are holding you back. And those are the things you have to go after first to help try to change people's perceptions and that checking in and really bringing in that accountability for the current time frame. I'm not asking 10 years ago, did I do anything? But in the last month, how have I showed up? I, I just think that is one of the key exactly. pieces. Wonderful. Well, maybe just going back to 360s for uh, another minute, you know, we know that companies need to use them because, you know, large scale, you just can't, like you said, you can't do all of these uh, face-to-face or over-the-phone live 360 interviews. So how can an organization make their 360 more effective at truly getting the feedback and then driving change? Yeah, good. Um, well, there are a lot of vendors out there that have uh, great instruments. There's also instruments that are uh, overly uh, include uh, cycle babble and complicated words. But so for me, uh, in looking at an instrument, the simpler, the better. And it's my belief that an 80-question survey is not twice as effective as a 40-question survey. Subordinates never get tired of answering questions about their boss, but peers often get tired of filling out 80-question surveys on their peer uh, and questions that involve how well do they manage performance, how well do they set goals, how well do they give developmental feedback. A peer has no clue about those things, so, so they're more interested in how do you collaborate. So shorter surveys are the better. The other concept I have that must be in every instrument is the open-ended question. And often when I'm helping people or coaching people using the 360 instrument, we get a lot more information out of the open-ended question than we do out of the detailed questions like what does this person do well and what are your suggestions on how he or she could be more effective. That sometimes provides more valuable information than the 80 uh, individual items that precede it. The final thing about keeping it simple is I would customize. I don't think we do that enough. It's not that hard to customize an instrument. So you can package different questions into uh, an array that highlights important cultural aspects of that company. So if this company has some behaviors that are really important, if the CEO feels strongly that all the leaders must exemplify this kind of behavior, put it in the feedback. Use the language of the company and organize it by the company values uh, to show that these are the values and these are the behaviors that, that show that you're living that value. And it's not that hard to customize. There are a lot of vendors out there that will help you do it. You know, in a couple of days of interviewing people and getting the CEO's input, you can have a really powerful instrument that reflects your culture and and helps drive the kinds of changes you're trying to drive. So. I'm a strong advocate of customizing instruments. Yeah, great tips, great advice. So wonderful. Uh, so as we kind of just uh, look at you as as an executive coach, and that's what you're doing right now, I'm, and thoroughly loving it, enjoying it, because it comes through and everything you say and, and the information you're sharing is, what's your favorite thing about being an executive coach? Well, my favorite uh, thing about coaching, uh, hands down, are the clients. I love my clients. They're really uh, amazing people. Uh, and I have a process to go through that makes sure that they are the favorite part of, of my coaching work. The two key questions I ask, are they successful? Uh, I get a lot of calls from HR departments or bosses that say, I have somebody I'm about to fire. Will you come save them? And there are coaches who do that and do that effectively. I'm not one of them. And the second question I ask, do they want to change? And if the answer is no, I'm probably going to fail at the exercise anyway because, uh, you know, when a person changes, it's never about the coach. It's always about them. So if they're successful and they want to change, it's so much fun to work with them because, A, they're successful because you don't get to the top of the corporate ladder without having some amazing traits. So they're all smart. They're interesting. They have huge business challenges uh, that they're dealing with. And, and it's really fascinating. And, and they're also successful in spite of some other things that I can help them with. So that's kind of fun. 
And so it's really stimulating work when they get better. And I give them all the credit for getting better, but it makes me feel good to work with people at that level and see them get better. Yeah, I love that. Finding out if they're successful so you can help them be even more successful. And I think it's even more important. The second question is, do they want to change? Because I've worked with people that are successful and they're happy getting the results they're getting. So like you said, work where, where people I, want to I grow. I learned that lesson the hard way uh, because, as I told you, uh, we measure the effectiveness of, of the change at the end. And if they didn't get better, we don't send a bill. And so we've learned the lesson about recognizing the need to change in some expensive ways. We had some clients that we worked with that at the end when we measured did they get better or not, they didn't, and we didn't get paid. And it turned out they really weren't interested in getting better, and we can't make them get better. So um, we didn't get paid. They didn't get better. Uh, and so that's why we are sure, make sure that clients want to get better before we take them on. Or if they want to get better, they will. Yeah, great advice. So who's had the greatest impact on your professional life? And why wouldn't you be where you are today without that person's influence? Well, I've been very lucky, uh, and I can't point to one person, so uh, let me point to a few. i got to mention Marshall. Uh, his thinking about leadership and his coaching process has had a huge influence on me. You know, I come from a very practical mindset. Uh, having had a, been a line manager and engineer, I really like Marshall's very practical approach. It works for me. I can use it, um, and, and it works, so I give him a lot of credit. I've also got to give a lot of credit to the bosses I've had. I've been really lucky with some great bosses who gave me a lot of rope and allowed me to do some sometimes crazy things and still supported me with resources in all my years of corporate life of running executive development. I never had a major budget cut. I have to thank them for supporting what I was doing without having to understand it. And and then third, uh, I'd say I've also ridden on the shoulders of a lot of uh, terrific people uh, who have helped me look good and and then gone on to lead their own successful careers as chief learning officers or executive coaches. So, uh, you know, I have a, a lot of people who have gotten me where I am. Yeah. And you're getting a lot of other people to other places based on your impact. Personally, I could say that. So. It has been just a pleasure to listen to all of the advice, and you've given us so many things to think about. But do you have any final piece of advice for our talent champions as we close this out? I've heard you ask your previous guest the same question, and so I suspected maybe you'd ask me. So I thought about it in advance, and I'm going to break my advice uh, into two categories. One, if you're a corporate kind of talent champion and the other if you're a external coach. So here's here's my words of advice for the corporate talent champions. Five things I would say about uh, my recommendations. One is I would spend time making sure I'm building relationships with line executives. I always had great relationships with the CEOs where I worked, but if I had it to do over again, I might spend more time with line executives where I'm learning the language of the line executive, I'm learning the business, I'm not talking HR foo-foo language to them, and and uh, getting really my hands dirty with the business. The, the second piece of advice I have, having watched lots of people go through this in the past, is change what you can change and make peace with what you can't change. If you have some passion about some area that I just believe that focusing on this issue is really important, but the organization doesn't support it, go somewhere else where it is supported and don't try to change things that you're not allowed to change. The third piece of advice uh, for the corporate champions is that get focused on a few things to execute and change and not a whole lot of things or you'll never get anything done. Early in my career, it was my goal to help executives change everything about being a leader and now, in the later years of my career, I'm focused on f helping them find anything that will change and, and forgetting about everything. And then uh, fourth, I would say, make sure you execute something, almost anything. And the, the, the two criteria I would use to evaluate what I execute are, 
do things that are practical, that relate to the life of an everyday line executive. And secondly, do them with edge. And by that, I mean, uh, take people out of their comfort zone, do, a, do something that makes them uh, not sit there as a, a suit in an empty chair, uh, but makes them uncomfortable. But I could also say, don't go so far. There's another zone. If you take them out of that zone, you become the former head of executive development. So something that takes them out of their comfort zone, but doesn't go too far. And then finally, I would say uh, use metrics. I think we say there's too much about behavior that can't be measured, so we don't use it, and it makes us less credible. Uh, but there are a lot of things that can be measured in what we do around talent that can be measured. And I think to, to the extent you use them, you're finding out what works, and you're also looking like you're more credible. Uh, I also uh, have some advice for the people who are listening who are external coaches. I actually talk to a lot of uh, young people who try to call Marshall, and he can't return all those calls. So I, every week, talk to lots of young aspiring coaches about how do we become a Marshall Goldsmith. And so here's the how I uh, uh, advise them. I say, number one, get really focused on describing what you do and how you do it, and also know what you don't do. Uh, when I was hiring executive coaches in my executive development role, I was never impressed by coaches that could say they could coach about anything. I, I'd like to hear what they don't do, and that gave them more credibility. And I always like to talk to people who call me about uh, what I don't do. Um, the second uh, suggestion I have is do some pro bono work um, because the more experience you get, the better. And I'm actually got a pro bono gig going now. I'm trying to find some help on with, with coaches who would, I think, benefit from the experience. Um, and, and finally, I would say um, if you're young, uh, you should dye your hair gray. Now, now that's not a challenge <laughs> for me. I uh, don't have to invest in any dye. But there is a client perception that older equal wiser. Um, I don't think that's necessarily true. Um, but if my clients want to believe that, I don't tell them they're confused. <laughs> um, so and then the final suggestion I would have for uh, everybody is uh, – be happy in your work. Um, that phrase, be happy in your work, uh, your listeners aren't old enough to remember the Bridge on the River Quad, but it's the advice that Colonel Saito gave to the British prisoner of war. Um, but seriously, uh, talent development, it's a fun, stimulating, rewarding field to work in. We're all really lucky to have a place in that important work. Love, love, love the advice. And, and thank you for just taking the time to really think about and give thoughtful, down to earth and relatable and actionable feedback. So thank you. Thank you. And I love ending with be happy in your work. And we are in a wonderful field. You talk about developing people, getting the right people, getting them engaged and creating the leadership to lead forward uh, and be, you know, have the company be even more successful. So Thank you. Thank you for that. And so as we wrap up, how can our listeners get in touch with you or learn more from you? Well, they can uh, go to the marshallgoldsmithgroup.com website. They'll find me there. Uh, they can find me on LinkedIn um, as Jim Moore. They can send me an email at uh, jimmore05 at msn.com. Um, or uh, call you and you'll find me. That's a good thing. <laughs> well, it's been such a pleasure talking with you and having this discussion. I know our audience will grow and learn from your expertise and just so appreciate your generosity in giving back and helping others learn and grow. Thanks, Diana. It's fun to be with you. Thank you. Before we go, I wanted to quickly summarize the key takeaways from today's episode. Feedback is a set of comments about a person's performance or behavior in the past that is intended to help the receiver improve in the future. When feedback is delivered properly, it can lead to improved behavior. However, when it's delivered improperly, it can cause real damage to both the recipient and the giver. Feedback's gotten a negative connotation because people associate it with being criticized. Feed Forward takes those negative comments about the past and turns them into positive suggestions for the future. It's the difference between telling someone, 
what you did wasn't effective because of X, Y, and Z versus next time you could do X, Y, and Z differently in order to be even more effective. You can use feed forward when asking for feedback from direct reports and peers by starting with the area that you're working on and asking for specific suggestions about how you can improve in that area. When someone gives you feedback, simply say, thank you. Don't immediately evaluate the ideas in front of the giver, even if you love the suggestion. By remaining neutral and grateful, you'll foster an environment that encourages people to continue giving you feedback in the future. Jim and I both prefer personal interviews to 360 instruments, but sometimes the scale of an organization requires a more standardized approach. When evaluating 360 instruments, keep it simple. No one can change 80 things, but a few targeted questions coupled with an open-ended response section can help to surface one or two key changes that will create lasting impact. Also, customize the 360 to ensure it fits into your culture and your objectives. And finally, some great advice for talent champions. Build relationships with executives across the business, getting to know their language and what they care about so that you can help make impactful changes. Love this one. Change what you can change and make peace with what you can't and use metrics that help boost the credibility of the changes you're making. That's all for this week. On our next episode, we're shifting gears to a topic that should hit very close to home. The stress level of the average American has reached epidemic proportions, leading to crippling anxiety disorders and manifesting in physical health issues of too many people. I personally struggled with health issues related to stress during my corporate career and so I made it one of my top life priorities to find healthy ways to manage stress. On our next episode, we're talking about ways to integrate all the components of your life in a way that enables you to be more productive and healthy. Join us in two weeks and visit our website, talent-champions.com, if you'd like to sign up for email updates when new episodes of Talent Champions are released. Thank you. Have a great and healthy week. Thanks for listening to Talent Champions with Diana Thomas. For more information about today's show or to receive more valuable insights, please visit franklincovey.com slash talent champions. If you've enjoyed this podcast, check out Franklin Covey's other podcast, Great Life, Great Career with Scott Miller and Franklin Covey on Leadership, available from your favorite podcast provider.